introducing Mr. Kawada himself, my dad. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, this is Quantum of History. I'm your host, Danny Walton. Welcome to another episode. Today is going to be episode 30. We're going to take a talk about Losetas. Now, if you don't know who the Losetas are, they are the most feared, most brutal, most violent, most mutilated, like just just evil sons of bitches to ever come out of Mexico. They're definitely the most violent cartel. They brought it to a new level. They were formed in the 1990s. And we're going to go over the history, what they started for. Like I said, they started as Mexican special forces, like legit Mexican special forces. And then they ended up becoming part of another cartel and then branching off into their own and making their own identity. They have an interesting story. Uh, and if you haven't, if you want to, uh, if you listen, if you want to just check out the YouTube real quick on my channel, I did put up a bunch of pictures to go along with the story. Uh, the YouTube is very brief. As, as I've found with every one of my episodes, m- this is definitely a podcast. History, people want to listen to history. They don't want to watch it. Um, but this, I, I, I found that this was kind of important just because I can tell you that it's bad. I can tell you, oh my God, you have to, you have to really, they, they just cut them up and they see it. It's one thing for me to say it, but it's really ineffable unless you've actually seen it. So it's pretty graphic. I put up some pretty graphic pictures in there but I think it's always important to really understand you know there's a time magazine posted some pictures one time about World War one and it showed some skulls and some some dead bodies from war from World War one and people were like those are horrible images we need to uh, just take those away time magazine and I'll give time magazine credit they said no war is brutal and if you just say you want to go to war you just say that war fights or violence, it's a lot different than actually seeing what that means. So if you say you're for a war, you can say, yeah, for a war, that's a good cause. Well, do you really understand what the implications are? I mean, do you really understand what you're, what you're sending people to do? And when you see that for your standing, when you see pictures, it really puts a better perspective into it. So when I tell you that the cartel killed 193 people in Mester Graves, or if I tell you that there are, there's a barn with 72 bo- dead bodies in it, or if I tell you how they make guiso, which I'll tell you later, you're going to you're going to say, "Oh man, that sounds awful." But until you actually see it, you don't really understand how bad it is. So, as always, I, I, this is definitely a podcast. This will always be a podcast first. The YouTube is just secondary, just kind of something fun on I, I toy around with. The only reason I did it for this episode is like I said, I can tell you as much I can tell you so I'm blue in the face the kind of violence that these guys do, Los Zetas, but until you see it, until you see the pictures, you don't really understand. So that's what this one's going to go into. And I found that the cartel episodes and the mafia episodes uh, always do really well just because that's what people are interested in. Interestingly enough, people are not at all interested in China. China on my YouTube and China on my podcast, both of those topics nobody cared about. And I I find that interesting because China is such a big deal right now. And the the Russia episode ended more. I don't know what it is. I, I think really think it has to do with the fact that you don't see it in movies. And we're talking about all the time about you know, where do you, where do you, where should you put your energy or where should we be concerned or where should we kind of do our focus on? And China should be one of those things that you really have to worry about because they are really rising fast and they are gobbling up Africa's resources because China itself doesn't have a lot of resources and they're gobbling up Africa and they're gobbling up a lot of the East Asia and stuff like that and the tech secrets and everything else like, but nobody cares about it. And you know why I think it's really has to do with the fact that they're not in movies and they're not in the cultural you know, identity. 
you don't really see them as as enemies in anything else. Or there's there's no stories, movies about them. There's no shows about them. They're not really portrayed, so they don't really become into the consciousness of, of the American society. Whereas, you know, the Zetas and everything else are in your face all the time, or the Mexican cartel, or the mafia, or stuff like that. So it's just an interesting, just just for my own social experiment. And, and I got a couple of them on this episode. But that's what we're going to talk about today. So without further ado, let's just start getting right into some other topics. Last week I talked about how uh, after seeing the Indragenta, I was going to go see this show on Amazon Prime called 000 based on the Indragenta. And I did. And it was phenomenal. I cannot recommend it enough. I talked about it on uh, my Instagram. I posted it. If you haven't checked it out, it's eight episodes. It's Amazon Prime. And it's phenomenal. So the first part that you're going to see is last week's episode, The Indragenta. The second part you're going to see, and I don't think I'm going to give anything away by, by saying this, is the formation of the Zetas. So again, today's topic, and it's such a, such a well-done series. And there's a lot of subtlety and there's a lot of other things that go into it, but it goes into how the Indragenta, the cartels, or the Indragenta and Italian mafia are tied to Mexican cartels, how they got their drugs, and how... Lazetas became Lazetas. And they're going to they're portray both of those in this show. So after listening to the podcast of the Indragenta and after listening to this podcast, go ahead and watch that. You'll really have a really good appreciation for um, what the history and what they're trying to portray in that show. So it's a really great show. And if you have not checked it out, I highly, highly, highly suggest doing it. And next week, I'm probably going to do... Um, either Somalia or Senegal or something like that. I'm probably going to do the third part of that. And you'll, exp- you'll if you see the show, you'll, you'll explain. It'll tie that into Casino Royale and, and Weapons Trade there. But that's what's going to go on for that. If you haven't checked it out, 000 uh, on Amazon Prime. And uh, hopefully you're not hopefully you're uh, not disappointed in it. But it really, it really does tie in very well with Bond. And it really does tie in very well with these historical topics that I'm going to talk about today. Before before I get into the the whole topic, I, I put up I just this is kind of a, like another Bond thing, but I found this interesting because I ha- I have two IG pages, one is a personal page and one is um, the Quantum of History, the IG page. So I posted a picture that I posted the same picture of Daniel Craig walking down in his No Time to Die Tom Ford suit, and I also put a picture of the No Time to Die Omega watch, and I posted and I put up a poll. I said, "What would you rather have?" Would you rather have the suit or the watch? And the Bond fans on the Quantum of History page went 70%, they went for the watch, and only 30% for the suit, which I was a little surprised at how much, but not surprised. And then I went onto my personal page, I put up the same picture, same exact picture, and I said, what should a man have, what should a man have more, a really good suit, Tom Ford, or a really good watch? And 70% to 30 went for the suit, on my personal page, which was not a lot of Bond fans. There are some of you guys that found that page, but for the most part, it's it's my personal friends and stuff like that. And I thought that was really interesting that Bond fan. maybe it's the, just the, I don't know why, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out why Bond fans themselves really like the watches more than the suits, whereas everyday, everybody else. And again, with the, with the personal page, there's a lot more females on there, which I think that almost all the females, except for a couple, went with the suit over the watch. So I think that maybe it's just that men like watches and women like to see men in suits. Maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. But it was it an was, it was interesting contrast that it was exactly flipped. The 70% on my personal page thought the suit was more important than the watch. And then on the Bond page, everyone was like, get the watch. 
that is an interesting thing just to talk about. So if you guys have any feedback or anything like that, listen to it. Help me figure out why why Bond fan why why the switch why the why the exact flip between the two. Let's get right into the topic though, and let's use my man DMX as the uh, the intro to the topic. Rest in peace, DMX. You were a huge part of my childhood. Um, you were a huge part of my high school, my basketball team, everywhere we went. Uh, our intro music, our, our introduction music was always DMX. So rest in peace, DMX. And uh, you know, let's get right into the topic with a little DMX. Now, no other group in modern cartel history has experienced such a rapid ascent as Los Zetas. Their formation was unique, their purpose, their mythology, and their brutality is all unmatched. While Sinaloa, La Lina, Tijuana Cartel, Gulf Cartel, and many others used violence and murder as common practice, None brought it to the level that Los Zetas did in, since their inception in 1997. Since the 1960s, Mexican cartels have ruled Mexico. As the massive amount of wealth that the drug trade to the U.S. has exploded, it's only deepened the corruption, the violence, and the terror. As the United States ramped up their war on drugs in the late 1970s and early 80s, the cartel began to modernize in Mexico. At one time, the Mexican cartels were simply couriers for the Colombian cartels. The Mexican cartels then transformed that they no longer wished to be the middlemen as they created a vast and complex network of corruption, transportation, diversified products, and in ever-expanding ways of dealing with enemies and traders, the money grew even more. And by the 1990s, the business was up in the billions of dollars. Now, as the, as the business grows to the billions of dollars, what was once run as family organizations, basically like a criminal enterprise in the 60s, 70s, with, with clear leadership, clear infrastructures, clear kind of hierarchies, it all kind of fell apart as the money and the violence grew and the greed grew. And all of a sudden, which was once, you know, family business run by order, you know, the killings were done in-house, it, it just exploded. And all of a sudden, the violence was just literally spilling onto the street. Now, this lack of order and leadership uh, gave birth to the new form, which is basically Los Zetas. So Los Zetas are the child of the chaos of the 90s. In the 90s, the Mexican government was desperate to try to slow the tide of killings, corruption, public executions. And they also were trying to show the U.S. that they were doing all that they could. In order to fight the better-funded, heavier-armed cartels, the Mexican military needed a better-trained force. Starting in 1986, Mexico created Rapid Intervention Forces, or Fuerzas de Integración Rápida, for the World Cup that Mexico was hosting. As the military began to face more formidable opponents in the cartel, Mexico enlisted the help of the most elite forces in the world. Groups such as the American Green Berets and Israeli Special Forces all came to help train the Mexican Special Forces in a number of disciplines. I mean, these disciplines included marksmanship, ambush, air mobile, and urban warfare. Armed with these new skills, they became more formalized, and the most elite of these forces were renamed the Airborne Special Forces Grupo, or Grupo Removal de Fuerzas Especiales. This group was created mainly for the sole purpose of battling cartels, specifically the Gulf Cartel. This group, while working under the umbrella of the Mexican military, carried out their missions with their own brand of brutality, meant for deterrent for cartel. In one instance, it was said that a group of Mexican military killed 30 cartel members, cut off their ears, and left the body on the bank of a river. Now, this type of state-sanctioned violence quickly blurs the lines between good guys and bad guys. Right? I mean, if you're out there 
if the state's telling you to go kill these cartel members and you're literally killing them, cutting them off their ears and leaving them on, middle, on the banks of rivers as deterrents, the idea that you're still a good guy gets blurred very easily. I mean, that is a juxtaposition between good and evil, right? You're doing evil in the name of good, but can you ever really do that? Can you ever really do that kind of evil in the name of good? I don't think so. I think that that really corrupts. I mean, that's got to be hard on anybody's psyche. And on top of that, I mean, these guys are risking their lives while making very meager salaries. And this didn't go unnoticed by aspiring Gulf Cartel leader Ociel Cardenas Guillén. At this time, the Gulf Cartel controlled eastern Mexico. So that included like Laredo and, and other um, Corpus Christi, that whole pass down there. The former Gulf Cartel, Garcia Ablego, was extradited to the United States in 1996. Now this left a hole in the Gulf Cartel leadership. And as fight for control of the Gulf Cartel was mounting, Cardenas decided he didn't just need bodies. He needed the best trained soldiers to win this war. It's one thing to go give a person a gun and say, you are a soldier now. It is another person that has had, had years of intensive, well-structured training who is an actual soldier. It's like that scene in 300. You know, what are you? I'm a farmer. What are you? I'm a merchant. What are you? I'm a banker. Spartans, what are you do for a living? Hur, hur, hur. Right? If you haven't seen 300, that sounded very weird. <laughs> I understand. But uh, if you have seen the one 300, you know exactly what I mean. It's a whole difference between putting a gun in somebody's hand and saying you're a soldier as opposed to actual well-formalized trained soldiers. Cardenas was able to recruit Lieutenant Arturo Guzman de Sena to join him. Guzman was able to bring along with him at least 30 more members of Gaefas to join him. In that, the Garf Cartel had a group of elite soldiers that were capable of myriad of strikes against enemies. And these soldiers became, well, would eventually become Los Zetas. Now, how did they become Los Zetas? Well, the Gulf Cartel, armed with these new soldiers, Los Zetas, were unleashed by the Gulf Cartel to wreak havoc on Tamaulipas. Los Zetas quickly began recruiting at an impressive rate as word spread about their effectiveness and their brutality. Los Zetas were executing mass murders of their rivals with brutality Mexico had never seen before. This quickly became a recruitment technique as young boys wanted to be part of the most effective group. They were being handsomely paid as well at the time. They were being paid far more than they ever could have staying with the military. And this was a symbiotic relationship between the Gulf Cartels and Los Zetas. But that soon was about to change. In 2002, the founding member of Los Zetas, Arturo Guzman de Sena, was killed. And Ibirato Lascano took over. Months later, the Gulf Cartel leader, Osiel Cardenas, was arrested and extradited to the United States. The turmoil led to Los Zetas to break off from the Gulf Cartel. So in 2002, they lose, they lose Arturo Guzman de Sena, which is the, 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 really the, the, the father of Los Zetas. Ibirato Lascano takes over. And also, the, the guy who hired... Guzman de Sena, Osiel Cardenas, was arrested in it. So that left a big leadership void. So Gulf Cartel and Zetas, the the ones, the two heads that really had a good relationship going on, those two are gone. And now you've got these new people with their own aspirations taking over. And that led to a lot of turmoil. And, and, and as such, from like 2002, 2003 to 2010, by the time 2010 happens, Los Zetas and the Gulf Cartel are just sworn enemies. Los Zetas be then began trafficking their own drugs and controlling their own territories. And it wasn't long before Los Zetas became the biggest territory cartel in the world. They were even forming alliances between Sinaloa, Gulf, and others to try to combat this. So Sinaloa and the Gulf Cartel realize that Los Zetas are growing rapidly, and they're like the cool one for the best recruits to go to, right? 
Sinaloa even formed their own group called Matazetas, or Zeta Killers. Ironically enough, the Matazetas that were formed, uh, they were the military wing of Sinaloa cartel, much the same that Los Zetas were the Gulf cartel force. Now, Matazetas were only there to kill Zetas, but now Matazetas have taken over Los Zetas as the most feared cartel in Mexico, and they've renamed themselves Jalisco New Generacion Cartel. I've told this story before, but I'll tell you a little again. Uh, so, when I was on the Border Patrol, we got intel that the Sinaloa was being armed by the uh, U.S. They were actually getting guns given to them. And then it came out after one of our border agents was killed by one of these guns that the ATF was actually allowing guns to go from the United States into Mexico. Their ruse for this was that they were going to try to trace where the guns go. Well, once guns are in Mexico, how are you going to chase, trace the serial numbers and stuff like that? Guns are completely illegal in Mexico. So how are you going to trace serial numbers? It's not like they're going to gun shops or they're not selling them on eBay or there's not any kind of refined way to sell guns. So that was just a ruse. The actual thing was that the United States was so scared of the Zetas. The Zetas, you can't understand, but they started with 31 members as an armed military wing of the Gulf Cartel. And by the time the 2000s hits, they are the, they are the biggest wing. They have the more territory than any other cartel in Mexico. And they were the most brutal. And the United States was so scared that the Zetas were going to take over Mexico. And Mexico themselves were scared that the Zetas were going to take over. That what they were actually doing where they were arming the Sinaloa cartel in order to kill the Zetas. And it's a story that the United States has been doing for, uh, really since the formation when they became formalized, was getting firearms into rebel forces or whoever they were backing at the time. They pumped the country full of these guns. And then these, then there's nothing else to it. I mean, how else do you, how do you get them out once they're in there? And once that, uh, just like they did with the Mujahideen in, in the Soviet Union in the 80s, they armed the Mujahideen with guns from, for the South American guns, they were selling Russian guns that the Russians had given South Americans to sell to, to fight the United States. They in turn grabbed those weapons and sold the Soviets their, their own weapons to the Mujahideen to fight them in Afghanistan. And then when the 2000s hit, those same weapons are then used against us. It's a continual cycle, but when you go in bed with these rebel forces or you go in bed with these bad people, uh, like they say in Quantum of Solace, well, you're right, we should only deal with good people. Obviously you can't, Obviously, you have to deal in the weeds, just like everything else in law enforcement. You deal with, you know, confidential informants, and they're unreliable, and they're they're flaky, and they lie, and it, it's just you get into this this society, this dark society, the criminal society. And once you start getting in there, it becomes a rabbit hole. And you, it, I'm sure that these CIA people who were embedded and live in these things, and live in these places, and, and really just eat, sleep, and breathe this, and the line becomes so blurry, it's very hard to do it. But that's what they were doing. They were arming the Sinaloa cartel, because Sinaloa cartel, while still violent, still brutal, and still did all these other things, they were still more of a business. I mean, Chapo Guzman wanted to be the richest person. You know, the Sinaloa was about their money more than anything. Whereas Los Zetas were unpredictable. They were about brutality. They didn't, they couldn't be bargained with. They just wanted to just have the most brutal, most fearsome, most murderous cartels. So that, that's how they ended up getting armed. And that's how Mata Zetas are formed because they're armed by the United States government. And what happens when you arm bad people, bad people do bad things. And now they've got Mata Zetas, which are now, now that the leadership of Los Sinaloa is falling apart, all of a sudden, Mata Zetas are becoming what Los Zetas were, ironically. And just, I mean, that's why I, that's why I have loved doing this so much, is that just history repeats itself. And you can see it in this small time frame, from 1997 to 2021, history just repeats itself over and over again in a new way. 
And uh, that's, that's, that's just why I love doing this stuff. Human beings are just very predictable when you really think about it. They're unpredictable, but they're predictable. I mean, it's just hit, even in the slight history, in the last 20 years, history just repeats itself over and over again. And some of the most brutal stories of Los Zetas were in San Fernando. It was here that the Mexican military found a burned barn with 72 dead bodies inside. Those bodies were suspected recruits of the other cartels. They were shot, mutilated, and burned inside the barn. In 2011, Los Zetas intercepted buses in San Fernando and kidnapped the passengers. They were brought to a nearby ranch and 193 of them were murdered. This was again unsuspicious of them being golf cartel recruits. In 2011 in Monterrey, a casino was attacked and burned to the ground. Here, 52 people were killed in this incident. And the motive is unknown, but this is civilians. The other two were, were suspected recruits. This was just, this was civilians that got killed. In Monterey again, in the same year, 49 decapitated uh, bodies were dumped on the highway in the middle of rush hour traffic, leaving a horrifying scene. So they literally had 49 decapitated bodies dumped in the middle of the, middle of the highway uh, during rush hour to send a message to Sinaloa. Some of the other ways, and those are the mass, those are some of the attention grabbing ones, but Los Zetas were known for giving people acid baths, which would eat your remains. They were feeding people the crocodiles. They were also making people into guiso or stew. Now to make guiso, you put a person in an oil barrel pour petrol on them, and light them on fire alive. The houses and places where the Zetas were doing these burnings are called kitchens, uh, of which there are many. There are tales of Mexican volunteers having to wear hazmat suits to sift through bones and teeth to try to find anything to identify the charred remains. These are some of the most gruesome of their activities, but the amount of killings, decapitations, and hangings of people from bridges was all too common. While the Zetas are well-versed in violence and intimidation, they lacked the business acumen and stability and leadership to make their success last. In 2012, Ibierto Lascano, one of the original 31 members, was killed by the Mexican military. And Miguel Angel Trevino Morales and also Jose Trevino took over as the control of the Zetas. He had almost control of half of Mexico and much of South American cells too. He was attaining massive amounts of wealth while raining down unprecedented violence. He was brazen, though, and he loved his horse raising. So the way it worked was Jose worked in the United States. He had a green card. He had a perfect criminal record. So he ran the business in the United States because Miguel was obsessed with his horse racing. He wanted all his horses to beat Sinaloa horses. And they would use this place in Rio Doso Downs, it's called. It's in New Mexico. I've been there. It's a dump. It is such a dump. It is the worst casino I've ever been into in my life. And it's clearly the only reason that it stays alive is because it's a front for the cartel. But you're not bringing people, you're not bringing your family there for vacation. It's, 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 if you got to see it, it's, it's, um, you can tell you're not welcome there. Well, let's just say that. And, uh, so they would use it. And that was, that was like their, their, their thing is that they won each other's horse races to do it. But by the time they were done, Jose and Miguel in the United States had over 300 horses all throughout Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico. But the problem with that is that they were also using it as a money laundering scheme for um, all these horses for their money into the United States. Now in Mexico, Miguel's untouchable. You can money launder, you can do whatever. He's got reaches everywhere. But Jose was in, in the United States and you don't get away with that as much for tax evasion. You can deal drugs and stuff, but you can't not pay your taxes in the United States, all right? They'll let you do anything. Al Capone got brought down for tax evasion. That's how they'll get you. You want to stay away from everything else? It's the money that's going to get you. 
So Jose gets tried and convicted, indicted by the FBI for tax evasion and money laundering. And then Miguel gets caught in the, in the uh, Mexican desert by two Mexican helicopters. They drop down, they get him. He has over $2 million in cash in his car, along with a bunch of uh, mil- uh, weapons and all this other stuff. So Miguel, Jose, the Trevino brothers, Ibirato, Lascano, they're all gone. And so now you're left with and it's a funny story about Jose and his, or Miguel and his horses. He even would name his horses in Rio Dosa Downs. He would name them Z40, which is um, when you become a leader, you get a Z and then whatever your, your number is. So Z40. And then uh, Big Daddy Cartel is my favorite one. <laughs> he named one of his horses Big Daddy Cartel. Just to give you an idea of how touch, untouchable he thought he was at the time. And when the Trevino brothers gone, Ibiato gone, leadership gone, and all these other factions, they grew too big too quickly without a really strong centralized leader. Losetas have kind of become, like, you just call yourself Losetas, but are you really Zetas? They've become a faction. They've become a kind of a shell of what they used to be. And their main enterprise now, I mean, they still obviously are, are high into um, being cartel drugs and stuff like that. But they also have a big uh, black market share of stolen oil. It's estimated they've stole $3 billion worth of uh, crude oil from Pemex, which is Mexican state. So they go in, and that's what they're good at. They're good at violence, kidnapping, extortion, all that. The smuggling and all that stuff, that takes, that's much more complex because you need networks in multiple countries and stuff like that. And you need all sorts of other things. To steal stuff, you just need to be good at violence. And that's what the Zetas are. So that's where they're making most of their money now. Today, again, their stronghold is not nearly as what it was. And it's more factions of what they used to be. Whatever happens in the future for the Zetas, they will always be known as the most violent. They brought Mexican cartel violence to a new level. And especially in 2010s, I, when I was working down the border, we, I used to follow this Borderland Beat, it was called. And it got shut down. The website got, got shut down. But it was they had such good articles, such good pictures. You'd see exactly what was going on. The, the, the bodies going over. And I don't know why it got shut down. I don't know what happened. I think what I was told is that the journalist who was doing it had to go into hiding he had to shut his page down because the cartel was coming after him. But it was it was such a good website, and it was it was too bad because they really did some good work. Some real actual journalism was done on that, as opposed to what you'll see, you know, with other stuff. So I don't know where I don't know where Mexico goes from here. I don't know how they combat it. I mean, it's just so far entrenched. We talked about it last week with the Indigenita. We talked about who was more subtle, not as much in your face, but it was still tentacles everywhere. The cartels are in your face, leaving dead bodies and, and blood spilled everywhere. And their tentacles are not even shy. The corruption is not even shy about it. They're just in your face all the time. And I don't know I don't know how you want to live like that. And you see it so often. I think what separates developed nations from underdeveloped nations is strong police forces, strong judicial systems, strong penal systems, and a better sense of what order actually is. And I, I fear that we're kind of losing the fact that the way we are, the safe, relatively safe nature that we live in uh, today in, in more industrious nations is the work of hard work um, from a lot of dedicated individuals. So you look at Mexico with zero form, you know, their police, their jails, there's so much corruption, so little formalization to combat these that they're, they go without impunity. And, before you go into chaos, before you give the uh, keys to the asylum to the to the, uh, the loonies, really think about uh, what these what it's like in nations without well trained, well formalized uh, 
a police force. But on that note, on that on that note of, I know it's kind of been a kind of a downer episode. I don't know if it's a downer episode, but it's not a uh, it's not a very cheerful episode. But it's an interesting episode, and I think it's one of those things that just needs to be talked about sometimes. Because again, you look at License to Kill, and uh, I I'm, I'm not a huge License to Kill fan, and I don't want to see Bond fight drug cartels. I just don't want to, unless it's going to be like a really good kidnapping story or something. Um, something I think if you're going to do a cartel, I want something like zero zero zero, where it's going to be multinational. The cartels are just a small part of it, but there's a higher picture of it. There's layers to it. There needs to be, if he's going to fight drug lords, it's because the drug lords are in bed with other higher nations that involve a multitude of places where he can go. And I just don't want to see him just licensed to kill just Miami vice kind of deal. I don't ever want to see that again. I don't want to see bond fight just the cartel, but if you're going to bring a cartel into it, something like they do, where you see like a, a formalized military or something like that, or a military wing of Spectre or something like that, that would be pretty cool. If, if if they had like a cartel, which was a militarized wing of Spectre, that would be pretty cool. But to just have it fight the cartel, I don't want to see it again. I just don't want to see it. I just don't. I don't want to see drugs be any part of the, the just a, maybe a periphery part of uh, the storyline or the plot, but definitely not the main part. But anyways, that's going to be the end of this episode. Thank you guys so much for coming in. If you haven't checked out the YouTube and you just want to check out, uh, like I said, the YouTube just kind of accompanies the podcast. I don't view the YouTube as like my main thing. That's just something I do for fun just because, um, like I said, if you really want to see some pictures, you want to see some brutality that goes with it, check it, scroll through. Uh, you don't even have to listen to the whole episode. Just kind of look through the pictures and stuff like that to kind of get it. And you'll see a second um, disclaimer warning in the in the YouTube video. So you'll know exactly when the, the more brutal pictures are coming so check that out and uh as always thank you guys for coming in thank you guys for listening to the podcast thank you guys for supporting thank you guys for coming on ig doing all this other stuff so follow me on ig and always like comment subscribe i really appreciate it guys and as always stay positive out there thank you so much and i will see you next time